0: We were talking about judgments, and uh, so we were on page 7 of our outline, and we were talking about, uh, the last time we were talking about, we were looking at the, uh, the proper standards for judging and going through some of that, and in going through some of that, we did talk about briefly some of the um, dispensational aspects of judging, and so you see very easily in um, the Garden of Eden, and we'll just briefly go over some of those, that Adam was judged, uh, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were um, because of uh their rejection of god and uh and so, on page seven at the top we've talked about that you 'll see very clearly genesis three seventeen through nineteen and so you see that Adam was judged and eve uh, and and the serpent as well uh were judged in that and then you come into the dispensation of um uh conscience, and so we 'll just kind of just look at some of those. For those who are not familiar. And so you have innocence, not innocence, innocence. Well, can anybody name them all? Okay, so you had innocence, and the whole point of these dispensations is that God is showing man something about himself. That when given the opportunity, man will choose not what God wants. Would choose the opposite, right? So uh, you see that in the garden, and so before Adam and Eve acted, I mean, uh, before God, they they ate from the tree. They didn't know there was a such thing as Satan. They didn't know such a creature existed, and so all they knew was the second person of the Godhead whom they had a relationship with. that they could they maintain that, right? So you never know what people will do until they get they're given a choice, right? You know, when your kids are little, man, they're just wonderful. And it's, oh, I love you, Daddy. I love you, Mama. Wait till they get a choice. <laughs> when they get a choice, you really begin to see what what, the, what is. And so that's what happens. And so you have innocence with Adam and Eve. And then the next one, you have uh, conscience. And then the question was, can man love by conscience? If God gave information about how man should approach him, Can they live by that? Would conscience be enough to guide men by, right? And we find out it's not enough because conscience can do some crazy things, right? And you can see that with Cain and what he did. And so his knowledge of the offering that he should bring was not enough. And so we understand that Satan was involved there as well, and that was a real problem. And then you had uh, human government... And so on the other side of the ark, when they came off the ark, you have Noah who was uh, over human government. And so there were some edicts given to them in Genesis chapter 9 about how they should conduct themselves and how they should live. And um, they were supposed to be fruitful and multiply to spread across the land. Uh, Did they do it? No. Chapter 11, you get to uh, chapter 11 and you have this guy Nimrod if you call somebody a Nimrod, that's really a horrible name. That's like a curse name. <laughs> <laughs> and he uh, forcefully, through murdering people, forced people to follow him. And anybody who, who um, was on the opposite side, he would kill him. And so all the people got together and they came to this place called Shinar. Shinar. And they said, let us make a name for ourselves. You see that in Genesis chapter 11, right? And so they built this tower. And I believe that uh, Romans 1 is a commentary on what happened there. They built this tower, not trying to build a tower up into heaven. I mean, we, you've heard that in your Sunday school class. But really, they were building a top that it says in the Hebrew, uh, Genesis chapter 11, whose top had the qualities of the heavens. So at the top of the tower, which was probably about three stories tall, they were putting the signs of the zodiac there, you see, the constellations. And they were worshiping those things even at a time when they could actually see God and they could find him, the second person of the Godhead. They rejected that. And that's why Paul says in Romans, when they knew God, right, they glorified him not as God. Became vain in their imaginations, you see, and their foolish heart was darkened, and so they rejected God. So God judged that dispensation with the confusing of the languages and the dividing of the continents. And uh, you had a lot of Elvis Presley going on back then. There was a lot of whole. I'm all shook up. (laughs) The whole continent just divided, and you know these guys say today, "Oh, it happened over millions of years." No, I believe it happened instantaneously. To the, con- the continents are going to, well, you're going to see it at the end of the tribulation period. The continents are going to come back together. And they're going to put on Elvis Presley song again. <laughs> all shook up. <laughs> so you're going to see that happen. Then you, you had the dispensation of promise. Where God says, okay, I'm just going to deal with every, all of the Gentiles at that point. That's all that existed was one race of people, the Gentiles, have rejected me. So I'm going to turn to one group of people from this group called, that is from the descendants of Shem and I'm going to give promises to them and show the rest of the Gentiles, these Gentiles that the God of this group of people which we know now to be the nation of Israel is greater than the gods that they're serving. Right? And so and so, this was uh, the promises that he began to give to this, this group. And we know um, that this was the case, that the God of Israel was greater than the gods of the Gentiles. The gods of the Gentiles, these Gentiles were serving all of these different things that cannot see, can't hear. Can you imagine bowing down to a statue? I've told you, i gonna tell you again. When I was delivering packages, I often would go to houses where they had a the little Buddha statue. <laughs> it's often just it just it was always amazing to me to see this and i'm thinking what what does this thing do what does it do it can't hear it can't see it's got this little giggly laugh on it you know and all of this and you think who puts their confidence in some little statue Well, a lot of people do a lot of gentiles do right And so what did Rahab say when the children of Israel went in to spy out the land? We have heard of your God. You see it in Joshua chapter 2. And we heard the things that he did in Egypt. And when we heard that you were coming here, our hearts melted with fear. Right? Because they know and knew that the God of the people Israel was greater than their gods. At the end of the day... Those gods can't talk, they can't walk, they can't do anything. It's just this facade that people have and they're worshiping these things, they can't do anything. And yet, even with all of that, Israel would not trust in the promises that God gave them. And Courtney and Don have dealt so eloquently with it, in Exodus the 19th chapter, God judged them by giving them the law, you see. They would not believe the promises of God. So the law really was not great shakes as people try to make it out to be. Let me just show you one scripture here in John chapter 7. Here's a good scripture you can show these people who think that they live by law and that they're so righteous because of law. You know that even the Jews could not obey the law. They never obeyed it. They never obeyed it. And it's just amazing to me when I hear people who think that righteousness comes by law. That you can't be righteous unless you obey the Ten Commandments. And You just say, what a... Yeah. Didn't we see over in Galatians 6, Paul says, these kind of people, they don't obey the law themselves. But they seek converts that they might glory in your flesh. Oh yeah, they put on a righteous facade on the outside and Again, as I say, follow them home. That's where the rubber meets the road. Follow them home and see how they behave at home. Interview their wife, interview their children, and see how they behave at home. Right? That's where you really find out who people really are. Now, notice in John chapter 7, and the Lord told the Jews this, and boy, they were really happy with him when he told them this. And notice in verse 17, he says, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the the, the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaks of himself seeks his own glory, but he that seeks his glory that sent him, the same is true and no unrighteousness is in him. Verse 19, did not Moses give you the law and yet none of you keep it? Right. Oh, no, that's not what he said, is it? Why, obviously the Jews kept the law because everybody today is telling you to keep it. No, they didn't keep it themselves. You can see it again over in Acts chapter 15. At the first church council, what did Peter say? Why do you want to put the Gentiles under a yoke of bondage that neither we nor our children could bear? Right? Why why do you hear all of this today about people saying you got to keep the Ten Commandments, you got to obey the law? There's such an ignorance of scripture on this that it's it's really not funny. And so then the Jews were judged. And so here we are now in this dispensation that we call grace. So there was law. We have grace. And there's one more dispensation to come. Anybody remember what that one is? So at the end of this dispensation of grace, remember, there's going to be what is called a parenthesis so we have in this dispensation interrupted a dispensation did you know that well it was law we've interrupted it with this dispensation of grace on the other side of it they're going to be back under law right and then you're going to have and so you're going to have that in the tribulation period and then you have the dispensation of the fullness of time Which is the millennial kingdom, right? And so, and so, and even all of these are, they end in failure, they end in judgment. God judging. What is going to be the failure and the judgment of this dispensation? You know what it's like? I was working for FedEx. Okay, there you go. And when you get to the Gospels, I'm sorry, I did I wasn't on. Okay, yeah, uh, and then it went off. Okay, when you get to the Gospels, you have this um, judgment in the Gospels, uh, and, and and how do you see judgment in the Gospels? Um, you know, the Father committed uh, all judgment to the Son, is what you see beginning there. And notice, this is interesting. God, I believe that the Son is going to be the one who is standing in judgment. Um, and some of these su- subsequent judgments to come. Notice in John chapter 5 and verse 27, well, 22 through 27. John chapter 5, verse 22 through 27. For the Father judges no man, but he has committed all judgment to the Son, that all men shall honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honors not the Son honors not the Father which has sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed unto death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they shall hear and live, for as the Father has life in himself, so has he given to the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. And so we'll see this as we get into um, the judgment of the sheep and the goats. Right here, uh, there's a judgment that's coming and <coughs> which, well, you have, um, we're going to see and we'll look at this, you have the Bema judgment is going to occur. And any, Anybody remember when that's going to occur? Yeah, you have the Bema and then you have the trib period, and at the end of the trip period it's the judgment of the sheep and the goats. And then you have the Millennial Kingdom, and then you have the Great White Throne Judgment. And then also here by the... The end of this, you'll have the judgment of Israel, in which the uh, elect of Israel are going to be separated from the non-elect of Israel. You see, not all Israel is Israel today. Um, there's a lot of people who are Jews who are not elect Israel. But by the time you get to the end of the tribulation period, it's going to only be elect Israel. And then you have the judgment of the sheep and the goats. In Matthew chapter 25, we see that one of the things the Son is going to do is, notice here, look at, and we're just going to peek ahead and look at this. We'll come back. Matthew chapter 25. Now, this is a scripture that's often misused and which, you know, a lot of your people who preach liberation theology, Uh, I don't know if you know what the liberation theology is, is they believe that Christ came to set not spiritual captives free, but to set the captives, the political and the social captives free. People who are held captive by their social status and these politically evil people. So (laughs) you have this liberation theology and they, they preach a social gospel and much of their social gospel comes from this chapter. But they forget one little thing that they ignore. And it's this scripture here that gives you the timing of when this is going to occur. Verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Well, is he sitting on his throne yet? Have you seen him come with his holy angels? That has not happened. And it's going to happen in the future. And this is what he's talking about. And the people who are going to be judged, the judgment of the sheep and the goats, and we'll see it when we come back here, it's going to be those who were in the Gentiles who make it through the end of the tribulation period. He's going to judge all the Gentiles on the face of the earth at that time. Every single person. And he's going to hold them accountable to how they handled the Jews that were on the face of the earth pretty easy to see when you're leaving in context and so the son's going to be involved in this judgment the great white throne judgment we're going to be judging together with him this is why I say you know people say well what qualifies you you got judges who went to Harvard and yelled and they've had the highest form of education but you know what they don't have remember when they're talking about the odds when, when the wizard he says they have something you have something they don't have <laughs> Right, It's what he told them. Well, you have something as believers that they don't have. A future in which you are going to judge together with Christ. And that trumps every other kind of judgment. It really does. And it qualifies you. And it's not because I said it. It's because Scripture says it. It qualifies you to do judgment. And we're going to see with regard to believers. It qualifies you. To be able to do that. And to say what Dan says, not criminal matters. Now, if somebody, another believer, shoots another believer or whatever, okay, we had to push you on off the criminal court. But there's a certain amount of judgment that the believer can be engaged in. And notice you, Satan was judged um, during this time uh, at, on the cross, John sixteen eleven. 11. Uh, we see that. And then the sins of mankind were judged on the cross as well. And so, those are some of the things that you see happening during. Uh, the gospels now i want to look at and focus here on there are certain judgments that you and i are forbidden to engage in Uh, and so you have people there's these extremes and and i just heard somebody this week say this you're never supposed to judge anybody here heard that (laughs) that's the that's the cry of the world system and i often wonder you know why they don't want you to judge because nobody wants you to point out how bad they are, or their little problems, or the fact that they may, might be a liar, you know. And, and so you have this, and so a lot of people, they're, they're vehemently against any kind of judgment. They're not even anymore against for, for, for criminal judgment. Or is it, someplace I was just reading here the other day where they said that they are going to make uh, armed robbery a misdemeanor. They're not even for criminal judgment. And so there's no kind of judgment. They just don't want any kind of judgment whatsoever. And this is is the view of fallen mankind. So let's start with, with what scripture outlines that we're not supposed to judge. Let's start with 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So in First Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is talking to the uh, believers at Corinth. And they probably had the view that the Gentiles have today or the unsaved have today. We're not supposed to judge while we're loving. Isn't that what people say? Um, you know, you got the thing with transgenderism today. Oh, no, we can't judge. Oh, we can't judge that. Oh, don't say that. You know, nobody wants to say anything about what's, what's true. You know? And so this is where the Corinthians were. So notice what happens with Paul here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is reported commonly there is fornication among you, and such fornication that is not so much named among the Gentiles, that one of you should have his father's wife. And so he says, this is not something that the, that the Gentiles are characterized by. And this guy is having a relationship with his father's wife. Now, again, I don't believe that what's happening here is that this guy was his mother. I don't believe this is incest. I believe that his father probably got married again, and the guy was with his father's wife. So how did the Corinthians handle this? Notice in verse 2, and you are puffed up. And have not rather mourned that he that had done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I, verily as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already. (gasps) He judged. He said that word, he judged. Paul says, I'm not even there. And I've already judged this issue. And so you have a problem today in churches, and we're going to see it. Churches refuse to judge believers who are in situations in the church where they are engaging in open, flagrant sin. They refuse to do it. And so notice here, um, as though I were present concerning him that has done this deed, Now, notice what he says here in verse 4. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit might be saved in the day of the the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what is he saying here? Now, we're going to see as we go down the line here that I believe what happens is that, and, and I've told you this process before, and we'll see it, The first line is for me as a believer to judge myself, right? That's what God wants, is for me to examine myself and to see what's in my life. Let's say that I'm, you know, in a situation and I'm not judging myself and I'm in open sin, you know. Maybe I'm having an adulterous relationship. Maybe I might even bring my girlfriend to church or whatever. And this sounds crazy, but people have done this. (laughs) They have done this. And so you come in and the church is, what is the church going to do? Oh, Kevin, we just love you so much. Even as my wife is sitting over here boiling. Well, you know what? I've, you know, this sounds as crazy as you might think it is. I know of a situation where this actually happened. It actually happened. And what did the church do? They turned on the wife. They turned on the wife. And so <laughs> it's, 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 this is how nutty it can get when the sin nature's out of control. So what happens here is so when I don't judge myself, and I'm in this situation, now the church has to judge me. And what do they do? Put them out. If there's not a change in mind, okay, you can, you're going to have to go somewhere else with that. You can't do that here. And what happens when the church does that, and we'll see, is that God then allows Satan to deal with that person in ways that he normally does not allow. And what is the purpose? Satan can do things to a believer that will bring about a change of mind. The amount of things that Satan is allowed to do to that believer will bring. Well, it's meant to cause the believer to have a change of mind. And we know for a fact that in this situation, it did work. Because in Paul's second epistle, he wrote to them and had to tell them to now forgive the guy. They went from one extreme, where we're loving the guy, to over, way over here saying, we'll never forgive him for what he did. This is what people do, right? And so Paul had to write them to, to say this. But in verse 6, he says, your glorying or your boasting is not good. No, you're not. The little leaven is a whole lump. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you might be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us not keep uh, the feast with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and of wickedness, and with the leaven of bread of sincerity and of truth. And the real problem here, when you allow things like this to happen in the church, is not only does it spread, but then you 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 then um, put yourself in a very bad position that you're going to end up being partial. Because if you can't condemn me or judge me for what I've done, how are you going to judge the next person? You see? And it gets out of control very fast. And so notice what he says in verse 9. I wrote unto you, and an epistle, not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or the extortioners, or with idolaters, for then you must need to go out of the world. So he's not talking about <clears throat> don't keep company, and it's interesting how the church looks at this. Because you, you have the monks, for example, who believed that they wanted to separate themselves from the world and they wanted to get away from all of this impurity, and they didn't realize that all they did is they barricaded themselves in these these monasteries, and their sin nature was right in there with them. And we found that that wasn't good. And you have the nunneries. That hasn't worked out well either, right? But he's not talking about separating yourself necessarily from the unsaved or the people who were characterized in this way who are unsaved. Notice what he says here. But now, verse 11, I have written unto you that you, keep, you not keep company if a man is called a brother. Now, this, I think, is very significant. You have a participle form here of the word nomas. Nomas has the ideal that he's characterized or he has the reputation. Now, this could get kind of tricky, right? Because people could say, Well, I don't, I don't I don't know if I could even say anything to him because I don't even know if he's a believer. Well, does he have a reputation for being one? He might not be one, I don't know. But most people think he is. You see. And so. He would fall into that category, and he says that you keep coming if a man is called, or really I would say is characterized as a brother. Now, notice the distinction there. Someone who calls himself a believer. Now, we are doing the opposite because we're not judging believers, but we spend a lot of time focused on the outside world. Right. How many times have you seen where people are they don't even know what to say about these people who are gay or who going who have all these different things going on that are unsaved? You know, I've seen people at work who are in these situations and they they expect for me to say something to them and I say nothing. And they're just like perplexed. They're expecting you to tee off on them and tell them how horrible they are. And I say nothing. Really. And why? If a man is called a brother and he be a fornicator or a covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one, no, not eat. Don't even eat with him. (laughs) It's interesting what we do. We look at the unsaved person And we're all over them. We strain a gnat and we swallow a camel. But we let everything go. Everything's okay in the church. And as I told you, (laughs) my father was a pastor and I've been in churches for, uh, he was a pastor for 43 years. All my life I've been around churches. I can't remember a time when I haven't been around churches. And as I've told you, I've seen things I cannot unsee. I wish I couldn't see some of the stuff that I've seen in churches that people tolerate in churches and they just allow it. And so notice here what he says for verse 12. For what have I to do to judge them that are without? Really, it's those on the outside. Now, this is crucial here. Because he's setting up a line of demarcation of how I deal with people on the outside versus those on the inside. And I I know that a lot of believers are conflicted about this. Because you see your neighbor who's unsaved and maybe they may be into some kind of immoral behavior and you're repulsed by it. And some people feel the need to say, you're going to hell, (laughs) right? I mean, you see this a lot, right? Where people see people at work and they're repulsed by their behavior and they feel the need to say this to them. But notice this idea of those on the outside and he's going to tell you why you should behave in the way that he's telling you. And so this outsider, now I'm going to give you a few other verses where you can see that this is specifically talking about unbelievers. Scripture draws a line of demarcation between believers and unbelievers. And so here's another thing and I've had people tell me before, well, you know, you can't say believers or unbelievers. How are you going to know whether somebody's a believer? Wait, how are you going to know? Well, there's a lot of edicts that are given in scripture where it presupposes that you understand who a believer is versus an unbeliever. How can Scripture tell me, love the brethren, and I don't know who the brethren are? This is, this is, this is nonsensical, and it's not scriptural. And so what we, we do is we try to set up a construct where we can, we can slip around uh, staying with what Scripture says. And so notice here in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5, you see this <coughs> of the unbeliever. Colossians chapter four and verse five. And notice he says here um, in Colossians chapter four, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Now, you know what this also does is it destroys the idea that the church is for believers and unbelievers. Well, if it tells you to walk in wisdom toward those who are on the outside, what does that predicate? To do that on the inside. It's just, I mean, is this too simple? I mean, it's just right there, right? Why is this so complicated in the church today? And so notice another place you see it uh, over in... um, Let me get back to my notes here. You see it over in... um, 1 Thessalonians 4.12 is where I wanted to go. 1 Thessalonians 4.12. 1 Thessalonians 4.12. Now notice here in 1 Thessalonians 4.12 what it said here. Uh, and, and I think this is getting to the heart of what we're supposed to be doing uh, and why we, we do what we're doing. In verse 10. I uh, talk back in Verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, you do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more and that you study to be quiet. And it's interesting here, this word quiet is actually, it's a word for tranquility, to be tranquil. Uh, Some word would translate it to cease and desist. Just shut up. Be quiet. Believers, we talk too much. We yap too much toward the unsaved people. And, and sometimes we're characterized by not the things we should be characterized by, you see. And so notice that you study to be quiet and that you do your own business. Or really you, you practice your own things, and that you work with your own hands as we commanded you. Now, notice why he said this. It sets up a construct where there's a testimony that the unbeliever is able to see, right? I really think that what God is warning is for the unbeliever to see something in activity. And you know what we try to do? We think we can talk about it. We can talk about it. Well, that doesn't require much. I can talk about things and not really be who I say I am, right? That you that you may walk honestly, uh, or really having a good outward appearance toward them that are without are those on the outside. I really believe a great majority of what the believer does. It's how we live our life. I think God accomplishes a lot with how we conduct our business, how we live our life. And the, the thing is, is that a lot of people don't want to believe that because they want to take shortcuts. They want to say, I'm a believer, but they don't want to be a believer, you see. And I think a big part of it, you know, you throw First Peter 3.15, and now you set aside Jesus as Lord in your heart and always be willing to give an answer to the one who asks you. The presumption is they see something in your life about the hope that is in you. And so that makes a big difference. And so believers are forbidden from judging the unsaved world. Now notice why, and we'll... Um, finish out that thought there in First Corinthians chapter 5, he gives you a reason as to why that's the case. For what have I to do to judge them that are on the outside? Do not you judge them that are within or those on the inside? But them that are on the outside, God judges. God's going to judge them. Therefore, Put away the, un, the uh, wicked man, from a, put away from you among yourselves. the wicked person. That word wicked is ponderous. And I really believe that what happens in churches, situations like this, if you let this stuff go, it's going to spread. It's going to spread. And the testimony of the church will become null and void. And I wonder, you know, we hear the unsaved people talk about the hypocrites in the church, and you know that's an excuse, and you know what it is, right? And you say, "Oh, yeah, yeah." You might not want to come because might add one more. <laughs> and really, there's more hypocrites outside in the world than there are in the church. A lot of hypocrites in the world they never bring that up either, right? Which brings us to our next point: that we are forbidden from judging hypocritically. Notice in Romans chapter two is where I'd, I'd like to direct you. Paul was talking to the Romans. Uh, and the Jewish believers there, and he says, Verse 1, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges, for whereas thou judges another, and thou <coughs> condemns thyself, for thou that judges does the same thing. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Verse 3, O oh, thinkest thou, O man, that judges them that do such things, and do the same thing? that thou should escape the judgment of God. And so this idea, and we saw it a few uh, last week about this uh, hypocritical judgment as it was related to Israel. Uh, So you're doing the very thing that you're trying to judge someone else not to do. And you can see this, man. You can see it in the world. I mean, some of the very people I was reading, uh, they were talking about some of these Hollywood stars, Right who were talking about the, uh, the, and I don't want to bring up any political thing, but it was really interesting, the non-vaxxers. But these people were going out getting fake vaccine cards. <laughs> fake vaccine cards. Not getting the shot. But yet they were standing up hollering at the people who didn't. And so you see this kind of thing in the church. Now that's kind of a graphic example but how many times do we do this, right? We're doing we're not doing something ourselves and we will direct anger and judgment at someone we're doing the very same thing. The very same thing. And so um and so you have that, and notice believers are discouraged from judging with respect to person. Notice in uh, James chapter 2 and verse 1 through 4, and this is a real issue and can be within the church in which, you know, you have some churches that if you have money and you put a lot of money in the, in the plate, why, you've seen, you're seen in a different light um, than those who, you know, toss in a few dollar bills, right? <laughs> you put in a couple of dollars and uh, it doesn't register on the meter, but if you give uh, $10,000, oh, 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 brother so-and-so gave $10,000. Boy, we better, we better cater to him. And so this is a problem. And notice in James chapter 2 and verse 1, And my brethren, have not faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there comes into your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vow raiment, and you have respect to him that wears the gay clothing. Now, remember, words do change. <laughs> that's not what you think there. Uh, it used to be happy or, um, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but that's not the word there. <laughs> uh, has the gay clothing and say unto him, sit thou here in a good place and say to the poor, stand thou there or sit here under my footstool. Are you not then partial in among yourselves and have become judges of evil thoughts? You and I should not make a distinction between people because of who they are particularly with regard to how much money they have. Or you see it in church today, how popular they are, right? You have churches that we started, and we haven't done it in a while, where we did the podcast, and we thought that it was probably a good thing to get the story of everyday believers out there. Why? Because in the church today, in Christendom, everybody wants to get some popular Christian, Right? To come, well, if we can get this person to come and say, oh, that guy, he's a sports star and he's a Christian, everybody will listen to him. Well, I think God, the Holy Spirit, can cause people to listen to people who are not popular. He doesn't need that. He doesn't need some football star. He doesn't need some athlete or some millionaire or some movie star. He doesn't need that. And so this idea of par- par- this word here for respect of persons, it has this idea of partiality or favoritisms to be partial or to show favoritism. And so the word is used several times in the New Testament of partiality that might be shown to someone because of who they are. Because of who they are. And you can have this go on. I know it's not going on in some of the churches you guys have attended, but I've seen this happen in some. (laughs) Lynn says, no, that's not true. I've seen this happen in in many churches where people are shown to be partial and they make judgments on the basis of who's doing it. Well, what about the guy that gave a million dollars to the church? What about him if he gets into an adulterous relationship? Are you going to call him on the carpet? In some instances, probably not. <laughs> probably not. Uh, because, you know, if we can't, you know, he's... And they'll justify it he's helping the church. <laughs> he's helping the church to sustain itself. Right? And so this uh, one uh, one judging according to person engages, uh, 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 James says here, in evil thoughts. It's where... It, um, partial is actually to, to act in a discriminating fashion. And so and this evil thoughts is to express doubt over the status of a person. And so we're told as uh, believers, don't make judgments or distinctions between people. We're all in the body of Christ. And as a guy used to say when I was growing up, there's no big eyes and little yous. There is no one any better or worse than the others. And you can see this even with Paul as he talked to the Corinthians, these carnal believers. And I just am struck by what he says in the first chapter about them. He still holds a high regard for these believers. Um, And so uh, this is a, a real problem in the church. Another thing that you see is in Romans chapter 14 is the believers are cautioned against judging the freedom of another believer. And this is, can be a problem. <clears throat> now, it's two sides of this. Um, I, I don't drink. Um, and I, I've, I've seen people do some things with regard to this. But, you know, uh, that's between them and the, and the Holy Spirit. There's certain things that God allows the believer to be led by the Spirit on. And, I mean, those are things that's between them and the Holy Spirit. Maybe somebody says, you know, God led me to move to this place or that place. Hey, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. I can't really make a determination about that. I don't know God's will for you. One of the easiest ones here in this context, it was about eating meat that was sacrificed to idols, right? And some people were making judgments about that because the food came from a certain place that were judgments made about it. And so notice in verse 1, he says, Have him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believes that he may eat all things, another who is weak eat herbs. Let him that that eats despise him, um, not despise him that eats not. And let not him that eat not judge him that eats. For God has received him. Who art thou to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Yea, he shall be holden of, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regards the day regards it unto the Lord. And he that regards not the day... To the Lord he does not regard it. He that eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And that he that eats not to the Lord, he eats not, and give God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, uh, we live to the, unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. And so this issue of uh, the freedom. Uh, and so this word for freedom here is the word kreno, And it's with this ending, it's idea of the, uh, the the judging. And so there's two possible scenarios that is discussed about what a believer could eat. One believer eats something that is despised. or, or can eat, uh, One eating can despise the other. The word despise is to treat with contempt or scorn. And so... We get this every New Year's Day, right, Jeanette? (laughs) You know how we're going there, where there are people who despise our children eating. (laughs) And, you know, I don't think that they bring it to the point of um, treating us with contempt or scorn. (laughs) It may border on it. And so, I mean, here you have that there are people who have the the freedom are they and uh are um <clears throat> have the freedom to be able to judge and make proper distinctions about things they can eat some food that came from uh, crab Louis's shop down the street that was offering food as up to idols and they know it's nothing it's offering and prayers that they get it doesn't change the meat it's just meat right but another believer can see that and say I can't believe you went into there. You know, one of the greatest examples of that since we've been here in Florida was Disney. There was a boycott came out against Disney because they were for gays and having these gay days. And so it became, these Christians said, we're going to boycott Disney. And if you went over to Disney, (gasps) you went to Disney. Well, you know, you might see it as, you know, I went over to Disney. It's just a ride. It's just an amusement park. You know, it's not going to be a rise or fall with me. But another believer could, uh, could be stumbled by that. And so there's two different things that we see here, and, I, and you have it in your outline, is that one can uh, despise someone because of it. On the one hand, you can have the weak believer, a brother, that can despise the stronger brother, and at the same time, the stronger brother can cause the weaker brother to have a stumbling block put before them. And so, if, if there's agape love involved, you're going to do what's in the best interest of another believer. Now I remember when I was younger, my father um, used to like to bowl. I think I've told you some of this. And so, as being the pastor in town, he would go bowling, he would take us bowling. We had a great time with him bowling. Until one thing happened. Someone in the church found out or decided, they probably already knew, they dropped the bomb that they actually serve liquor at the bowling alley. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That was it. They serve liquor. You're bowling at the bowling alley and they serve liquor? This was like, whoa. The pastor can't be going into such a place like that. And what did my father do? Well, we wanted him to say, mind your own business. (laughs) He didn't say that. You know he stopped bowling. He stopped bowling. Now, he knew that he wasn't drinking there. The alcohol wasn't getting on him. There was no smell on him. But it was causing some, it could have caused another brother to stumble and it wasn't worth it. And so he stopped going bowling because of that. And so you have these freedoms where believers have uh, uh, freedoms to be able to make determinations as they're being led by the Spirit, but that freedom is limited when it could possibly cause another brother to stumble on one side of it, and yet the weaker brother has a responsibility in it as well. And I think that agape love is what makes the distinction between those two. Okay, let's stop right there. We, we did make a little bit of a headway, and we'll pick it up at the judging of motives, which I think is a big issue, and we'll start there next week, Lord willing, unless the rapture occurs, and then you can ask the Lord on the way up about the subject matter.